All right, coming to you live from the Event and Arena Marketing Conference in the heart of the Twin Cities. Yeah. Hello and welcome to Adventures in Venue Land, an EAMC podcast. This is your all-access pass to go backstage and behind the scenes with some of the biggest minds that cross the scope of the live entertainment industry. I'm Dave Rettelberger. And I'm Paul Hooper. We'll introduce you to some of our favorite people as we dive deep into the world of live touring shows and the venues that host them. Today's adventure comes from a man with two decades of experience in global live event marketing, professional sports, Division I, athletics, brand development, integrated sales, touring logistics, fan engagement, facility construction, and so much more. Please give a warm Adventures in Venueland welcome to one of the newest members of the EAMC Hall of Fame, Koshe Irby. Yeah. I uh, I think you should like like I wake up in the morning, like you should be the alarm clock. <laughs> and then yeah, I'll be tell that to my so wife. Yeah, Koche, right? wake up, Koche, wake up, Koche, yeah, wake up. No, just do that, man. I like I'm ready to. Like, I might want to go run through the wall now, man. I'm, like, I feel good about myself right now. Thank you. You know, you've probably seen Koche around uh, uh, the conference for years. Uh, we appreciate you coming. Obviously, we won the award, got to give a brief acceptance speech yesterday, but but we knew that you had much more to say, right? So so tell us tell us where you're at now and, and what you're doing. So currently I'm a CMO, Chief Marketing Officer for PBR, professional board riding, not the beer. And, um, and I oversee all of our consumer marketing, websites, social, original content, sometimes security and event ops, you know, <laughs> you know, in this business, man, you do everything. But my main role is consumer marketing. Do they ever have you uh, hop on one of the bulls? They need. A I, uh, I I I learned really quick when I started in PBR that I'm a much better talker seller than I am a bull rider. So I'm going <laughs> to stick to my gifts. How how you know some of our venues have had PBR, some folks haven't. So tell us about PBR in in 2022. So obviously we we do about 200 shows a year, 70 different venues domestically. We operate in five countries and basically. It is a thrill ride like any, un, unlike anything you've ever seen. You know, we like to say that we are a rock concert mixed with Western rodeo style sport, mixed with uh, a television program, mixed with a soap opera, mixed with family feud style type, like rivalries between the guys and, and the bulls. Uh, people don't realize that it is eight seconds of exhilaration and, and as soon as the shoot opens, everybody's on the edge of their seat and you can just feel everybody taking every, you know, we, I like to say bump with the bull and, and then when the guy gets bucked off, you hear the collective, oh, but for a small amount of people, they're like, yay, because the bull won. Um, and then <laughs> conversely, when, when, the bull, when he covers, you know, or he makes the eight, you, you see a lot of people that just start cheering and a few people start booing. And, and we do this dance about 40 times. And so I like to liken it to a boxing match where you go see, you know, you have these two athletes get in there and slug it out. And, but you got to do like a whole hour with that. What our deal is they slug it out for eight seconds. And then we put a rock concert in the middle. And then we have another eight second match. We put a rock concert in the middle. And then we do that over and over again about 40 times. And so it's a roller coaster ride of an event. And, and you know, I think the only way to really truly experience it is to be there. Shameless plug, please come if you can ever make, make one of our shows. But it's, it's just that. It's just a thrill ride unlike anything you've ever seen before. I think anyone who has been realizes that it is this big thrill. You've got 
you know, fire, spoiler alert, fire that lights up PBR or whatever it is. There's, there's even the, what is it called? The, the shark cage? The, sh- the shark cage. Shark yeah. cage? What is the shark cage? So originally, a little spoiler alert here, the bulls are trying to kill you. So, <laughs> so as part of a TV product, we had to figure out a way to protect the cameras and the camera guys because the last thing you want to do is put a guy on a camera out there and a bull comes at him. They're not that mobile. Yeah. So they built this, this basically steel structure around all of our cameras, and we got the bright idea to turn it into a stage. And so we call it the shark cage because it protects them from the bull, but it also allows our entertainers, bands that we book or anybody else to perform on top of it. So it's now been, been effectively called the shark cage, and it's... It's fun. Like, it's the safest place in the bowl, I can tell you that, majority of the time. If you look at our entertainer, Flint, and watch him go up and down that thing, it is pretty amazing to, one, watch him run for his life. But then, secondly, to watch how many people are, con- you know, concentrate on that during the intermissions and whatnot. And it actually now has become an extension of the show. How, how are fans coming back for PBR? Because, you know, rodeo seems like it's an audience that might be eager to get back to it, right? You know, some audiences are more conservative and they're kind of holding back. But, but how, how has been the experience for you with the return to live for PBR? I mean, to go back to, everybody remembers the infamous, what was that? Uh, Friday the 13th, 2020, when the yeah. world came to a complete stop. Uh, we were sitting in Duluth, Georgia, and I had just landed off of a plane, and it, the guidance was 5,000, and all of a sudden it was 500. And we're sitting there like, what the f- are we going to do, right? Yeah, we, we, had yeah. a, we had a great show. Uh, it was sold well. And so we decided to refund everybody their money, and we did the show anyway. No fans. TV product. We were still under the 500. We don't count the bulls as, as fans or humans, and so we got away <laughs> with that. And so we, we pulled that show off. And so in theory, we take pride in the fact that we were the last show, the last sporting event to operate after that dreadful Friday. And 41 days later, give or take, we were back up and running. We were theoretically the first bubble to start Bucking wow. Bulls in Guthrie, Oklahoma. And we, we never stopped after that Guthrie, Oklahoma. Good for field. you. And then in July I mean, I of 2020, we were the first sport with fans. We went to Sioux Falls, South Dakota. We had... It was the worst selling show in my career, but it was the show that I am most proud of. I mean, tell yeah, us about that. Tell us yeah, about that. Yeah. It, you know, it was funny because like we, 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 we just kept figuring out a way. Let me back up. So when you're at PBR, you got to subscribe to this mantra called Be Cowboy, right? You, you be cowboy. And it's not about the clothes you wear. It's not about the hat. If you wake up every day and you want to help your fellow brother or sister out, if you're willing to put in a hard day's work and you're not afraid to go into an ambiguous or dangerous situation first, you're a cowboy. And when you think about that, like, I am a Lululemon, well, today I'm wearing Levi, but a Lululemon sneaker-wearing, baseball cap-wearing dude, but I subscribe to the cowboy principle. And this company fits everything about that principle for me. I love hard work. I, I, I am definitely not afraid to go. If you're in this business, you're not afraid of an of a, of a ambiguous situation. You, you know, we're the only business in the history of businesses, for the most part, that launches the business at zero and you got to go catch up to your expenses and then hopefully make a, make profit off of it. Right. And so that is, if you're, if you're into this, you're a cowboy, that's what cowboys do. They set out a crop or they start to try to yield a farm or whatnot. And you start with nothing. You got to go catch your expenses with the yield that you give. And so neither here nor there. So anyway, so we, we, we set on, on this course. And, and the reason that show was most profitable because it really was all about be cowboy. Everybody was like, you can't put people in the building. We figured out we were the first people to do the whole pod model. Sorry for everybody that had to do pod modeling <laughs> from that point forward. That's on you. 
Yeah, we started that. And then, you know, we figured out, like, we, we literally went through every detail to make sure that fans didn't cross over. We had a six-foot buffer. Everybody can still enjoy the show. We had everybody back to testing protocols. Everything that we can think of that made the fans, the athletes, our partners, our television partners, everybody feel safe about what we were doing. And then we pulled it off with nobody else's. Everybody was sitting on there. I never forget. I never forget. On the, on the 15th of that same uh, of that month, I never we, we sat around in our, our executive meeting uh, that day, and, and Sean, our CEO, said we got two we got two things we can do. We can either tuck tail and wait for somebody to tell us what to do, or we can go figure it out. And I can tell you right now, the former is not an option. And that's what we did. And so. All of that hard work, research, we all got our Google degrees on how COVID is, you know, transferred and majority of the information out there was wrong, but we still just kept trying to get more and more educated and all of that hard work, sweat, sleepless nights, nights where we're like the business may not make it. And we get to that point in July, we struck a deal with the governor and, 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 and uh, Denny Sanford Arena and we pulled it off. And I walk out that night and every, it was a pod sellout. Um, <laughs> but, but, but everybody in this room who had their first event after just, being not sure if we'd ever have yes. been again, been again. You remember that feeling. You just, and I mean, I get goosebumps every time I think about yeah. it. And literally when that first bull opened up and you had the fans jumping up and cheering and you start to see that connection and that memory you were making, literally I could not stop crying. It was probably the most emotional show I've ever had because you just, you mean, you know, and I don't want to get too, I hate talking about the vid a lot because it's something that we got to kick in the rearview mirror, but we need to learn about it. But I just remember like every friend from EMAC or, or, or friends who lost their jobs or lost loved ones or lost siblings or just had to sacrifice so much. And then in our business, people who love curating experiences and, and sharing that with their consumers couldn't do what they love to do. And at that moment, I realized that I had to take a step back and just, just kind of look at it from a third eye to say, holy crap, this is amazing, just take it in. And, and I just couldn't stop crying. It was the most emotional show I've ever had. And to this point, I mean, I've, I've done shows everywhere, I've done events everywhere. That show would still go down. It's probably one of the best events in my life, even though it was the lowest grossing event <laughs> I've ever done in my life. But it, but it means so much to me. I think that was one of the really cool things, those of us in this room that were friends with people on Facebook, Instagram, that as these events were starting to come back and some of them were later than others, people were posting this like 260 days later, 340 days later, 482 days later. And it was this emotional, cathartic experience because you, like you mentioned, it's, it's a small crowd, sometimes it's in pods, sometimes people were selling in the round, upper bowl, open, everything, and you don't have that many people in there, but you're like, holy shit, we're, we're back to a live event, you know, people are mass, it doesn't really matter at that point, you're just, you're kind of brought back to that first experience you have when you join the live event industry, and that feeling like, oh my God, this is like, I'm falling in love with it all over again. And, and it's easy, I think we all get that, like when bands come out on stage and you know there is that thing that people talk about or the event first kicks off where you get that feeling and it invigorates you. But I think you also work these long hours and long nights. So it does sometimes kind of get um, watered down a little bit over time. And so after we had this huge gap and then you come back and you have this event, it didn't matter the attendance, everyone's like, this big sigh of relief and also like, this is what I love. This is what I fell in love with. This is why you do what you do. Yeah. I mean, let's be honest, you know, like 
The artists and the owners are the only ones that get rich in this business. We're in it for more. We're not, if, if you're in this business for money, specifically in our kind of right, our right, realms, right, right. get out. There's the door. You might want to think of like some Uber situations, the used car sales. But you're, you know, like if, if passion doesn't fuel what you're doing in this deal, and, and that's just one of those moments where your passion and every, it's just everybody here had that moment, I bet, coming out of the whole vid that it was it was just magical man it, it made you go back to that to your point that first day where you're like holy shit i did this right and, yeah yeah and then when you start to just feel that magic and, you, and it's not watered down like for me i think the biggest thing that i take advantage of after, after that july show was i don't never i would never and it, it, we get lost in this because everybody here has done hundreds tens twenties thousands of shows and it's, to your point, it starts to get watered down. It becomes muscle memory. But I will never take that shit for granted again. Like, right. I literally attack every show like it could be the last one because Duluth, Georgia taught me it could be. Yeah. And, it, and I have zero control of it. Like, and so that's why, like, like I, my staff gets mad because I'm, I'm always trying to just say, hey, look, we got to treat it like the last one. And it's no guarantee. I mean, we tomorrow, we can walk out of here tomorrow and... Something tragic could Something, happen. We didn't know what we didn't know what we didn't know, right? Yeah. So we don't know what tomorrow holds. Yeah. So you just you just gotta like like now nah, I take it all in. I try to make sure that every show, even though it's muscle memory and it could be a three night set and it's night three and we've done this two nights, I still want to take a moment during that that day or that night to just say, take it in, man. Just take it in. You know, uh, I was talking with with Rosie from uh, Climate Pledge, and and we are still like how many people in this room were crying during the keynote. Uh, yesterday, right? I got tears running down my face. We are an industry that has not healed, right? We are still healing. We are just, he had to hit the ground running and we are still like, we haven't taken our time really for ourselves and so much of that, but we're celebrating the moments and, and celebrating each day. Now, before we get to that point, right, let's, let's take it way back. Gushi, let's go back to Meridian, Mississippi. Oh, shit. All the <laughs> right? way back. What, what were you like as a little kid? Bad. <laughs> Shocking, a, shocking. I was a badass kid, man. Uh, my mom would tell me stories of, first off, I got to, I mean, I got to give you the, the gist. Like, I was born, my mom was 16 when she had me. So, like, it was a kid raising a kid, right? Yeah. In Meridian, Mississippi, an African-American kid with a 16-year-old sophomore high school type mom. You know, there's a lot of things, you know, that, that work against you. But the one thing that, that she allowed me to do was just to be me, right? Like, she, she, you know, because, one, she didn't really know how to have structure. She's a 16-year-old. So I became a badass kid. Like, my, my mom would tell me stories of when people would not allow her to come over their house because if I had to come, they called call me, like, the tank because I would break all their shit. So <laughs> it was... I can picture that. I can picture so, that. It was... I was a bad kid, but but... Grew into it, uh, really, truly got into sports, uh, realized I had a natural knack for athletics, played football, got a scholarship, and just kind of moved around, uh, from, moved on from that. But growing up, we, we lived in like 17 states. My mom got into real estate. 17 managed. states. Yeah, my mom. So I've, I've lived in like 17 states. You were so doing far. the tour before you were doing yeah, the tour. I was touring before touring was a thing, right? And so, uh, but my mom got a, she was, got a job working in real estate, uh, opening up apartment complexes and would move around. So I never, my, my claim to fame is from K through nine, I was in a different school every year. And what did that, what did that teach you? you know, that you carry with you today? Like, because when you walk through a room with people you don't know, I bet some of that is still that little kid walking into that classroom. I, yeah, I don't. I never met a stranger. Um, and I definitely don't have a problem touring. So, you know, WWE, you're on the road 300 nights a year. And that background allowed me to do it um, and adapt to it a little bit easier. Um, 
And it also allowed for me to be comfortable wherever I am. You know, it's like the old deal is, you know, where's the best place to plant a tree? Wherever you are. And, and that, that's kind of how I look at it is wherever I am. That's why I kind of just set up my roots that day. And I'm okay with that. And, it, and in this business and as a promoter and kind of one of those lone wolf promoters, I always felt comfortable when somebody would say, hey, we're going to drop you in Jeddah, Saudi Arabia, and you got to figure it out. And right. I think that, you know, being able to have to go and make friends every year and figure it out every year allowed for me to adapt to that a little bit easier than some. So I, I think it's, it's for me, it helped me in the, 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 the career that I chose and for others, it may be, you know, they may be seeing psychiatrists about it to this day. It's really finding that comfort in the discomfort, right? And not being afraid of things shaking up. And I, I think, you know, to bring it to what we have experienced over the last couple of years, you know, there's, I, I'll say this admittedly myself, I was a creature of habit. I'm still probably a creature of habit. And so I do think it is, um, you know, as much as those two years were this shakeup and things that people didn't want, uh, I think hopefully we all grew from that because there is something just like your experience of, you know, learning and adapting as moving different cities, you're finding comfort and the discomfort, you're understanding that nothing is, uh, you know, always going to stay the same. And so I, I think it is really something that we all hopefully learned and obviously something you've learned that, you know, you shouldn't be scared of change. You right. should embrace it. You should understand it's inevitable. So you really should embrace it and just let it, you know, guide you. Yeah, I, I, I'm a firm believer in that. Like, for me, I love change. I love chaos. I thrive in it. And it, it, if I don't have it, I get bored and stagnant, and, and it bothers me. And in this business, if you're not constantly trying to disrupt, then you're doing your, yourself, your personal brand, your company, your, your, your artist, your whoever you're serving at that time or helping at that time, a disservice. I mean, at the end of the day, as marketers, our, I firmly believe my job is to try to disrupt everything. Just figure it out a way to just disrupt everything. And that's, and we'll probably talk about this, but you look at my career path, it's been a disruption and every, every decision I've made is a disruption. I, you know, I, I graduate um, from college inside. I had, I'll never forget, I had AutoZone, FedEx, and all these great jobs and management programs leaving, you know, with my MBA. And I said, no, nah, I'm going to go over here and go to this Conference USA fellowship and make $17,600 a year living <laughs> in Chicago, Illinois. i never forget it because I was like, well, this is going to be a struggle, and uh, but that it made it better, and and, and it just and, and I love that situation. You just choose a path less chosen. You had a job for a while in computer sales, right? I worked for and, Dell Computer. And let me Corp. get this right: were you like identified by like a number instead of a name? Is that right? <laughs> yeah. So I left. So after making seventeen thousand six hundred dollars for a year, I realized real quick I got to make some money and eat. So uh, I go work for Dell Computer Corp. and worked there for about you know, about a year or so. And I left because I hated being 25661. That was my employee number at Dell. And you know, we did $30 million that year for my team. We did great, but it did nothing for the $4 billion the company made that year. And I just didn't feel like I was making a difference. And you know, and it's like you when they when you call in to make a change to whatever, your your email address, whatever. It's not like, hey, Coche, what's going on? It's like, employee number, 25661, and then they talk to you. And I just, I didn't feel right with that, and so I dipped. Yeah, and, and you, of course, kind of got into college athletics from there, but you were, you were you know, before the computer gig, you mentioned going to college, University of Memphis. Yeah. You were there in 96, 
Redshirt freshman, right? Yeah. The Tigers beat Peyton Manning for the first <laughs> time in school history. And I heard a rumor. It's basically just Cochet. I heard a rumor. Maybe you were on the goalpost. Not only got on the goalpost, but maybe have a piece of the goalpost at home still. I don't know the statute of limitations, so I can confirm nor deny <laughs> whether or not I have a piece of the goalpost that got torn down during that football game. So tell us how tell us how you got into into college athletics because you spent some time you know you had a role as like an assistant AD and some great stuff there. So when I was at Memphis, uh, I, I played football. I went to Memphis on a football scholarship uh, once again because I was bad and realized I was athletic. It allowed me to kind of progress that into a, uh, a degree. So I went there, graduated early from Memphis, decided to stay at Memphis to get my MBA. So I get the MBA. Well, during the, my time with the MBA, you have to do like this, uh, you know, basically a business plan for a semester, you either go intern or whatever, but I decided I was going to be an entrepreneur. So I, uh, I started Cochet Irby Fit Kids Camp. And basically what I did was go around to all these middle schools and says, hey, I can teach your kid how to be the best track star or the best weightlifter or the best football player, basketball player. You name a sport, I had it covered. And then I would go to all my, my friends who are student athletes and basically pay them to come and teach, you know, whatever the sport was that these cohorts of kids signed up for. So, I, And I was doing like 300 kids a session for each one of these deals from around the region, making money hand over fist. But this is well before NL, NIL in college athletics. So it was a major violation for the University of Memphis. <laughs> <laughs> so, so at that time, it was like, I, get, I never forget, I get called in and they're like, hey, we got a situation. You can do one of two things. We either need to let this thing go, or you got to forego your scholarship. And I was like, shit, I kind of like football, but I like making money. What do I do? So I ended up choosing the football route. So I gave up that. But it let me know that live entertainment, sports entertainment, was going to be what I wanted to do. And then it made the the decision to go to Conference USA post-grad that much easier for me at the time. Uh, But yeah, that's kind of how I've realized that this is kind of what I wanted to do. And then one, one day you're at the, the Georgia Dome and your life changes with a little WWE. Yeah, so I was, at, I was working at Georgia State University at that time uh, and walked into WrestleMania, was happening at the Georgia Dome, walked into that show, met the people from WWE, had a friend that was kind of already in a company and he was like, yo, uh, you want to go into, into touring? And I was like, let me get this straight. Uh, I got to come and work in Stanford and move and do all of that. And he was like, oh, no, we're going to move you out to California. You're going to start up the, the L.A. office, and you're going to do all the West Coast and international shows and what. And I was like, let me get this straight. You pay people to go on your behalf to promote these shows in all these beautiful parts of the world, and this is the job. Like, I was like, hell yeah, sign me up. And so I left college athletics and everybody thought it was a, you know, a crazy deal because I'm gonna trade this safe state job. When you get in college athletics, as everybody knows, I mean, you just, you know, you go from coordinator to director, director to senior director, assistant, you know, assistant athletic associate, senior associate, and then nine times out of 10, if, it's, if it, the stars align, you get an AD job. And I was on that path. I was gonna be an AD to my next move, but I also realized that I was nowhere near mature enough for when Johnny's mom calls me and says, hey, Johnny was out drinking, can you go check on him? Or little Jane can't get checked into a dorm room. I wasn't just ready for those type of phone calls, right? It just wasn't my deal, it wasn't in my, my DNA. And so I realized that I was gonna have to either make a conscious decision to get outside the business or, or, or buckle down and get serious about the business. And so I chose the, the route to, to go and trade 
my whole livelihood being dependent upon 18 to 22 year olds to now grown men lathering themselves up with baby oil and beating the shit out of each other. So <laughs> I, uh, I, I chose that route and it, it paid great space for me. What was that like, that first WWE show? Like, have you, had you watched it on TV? I'm sure everyone, of course, knows what it is. Even if you weren't someone that watched it as a kid, you had friends that had, like, the little figurines or, like, the big plush dolls that looked like the wrestlers. Like, did you ever watch it? Or did you kind of jump in and, like, oh, man, this is what it is? I mean, I, you know, being in the South, you, you knew what wrestling was, right? <laughs> wrestling, so, wrestling. you know, you... So I, I had a I had a, a, a understanding of it, but as I started to do more and more research as they recruit me for the role, I became a fan of the business. And to this day, I'm, a, I'm more of a fan of the business than the, the actual product. And I know that sounds backwards, but it's just the thing is, and, I, and I'm a firm believer that the fact that I was such a fan of the business is what made me successful there because I wasn't there to ooh and ah over the talent or whatnot. Don't get me wrong, there were moments when like Taker or somebody would walk in, I don't care if he was in costume or not, uh, you still be in awe because you just realize it's a legend that's walking in or DJ, sorry, Rock will walk in and you will be like... D wait, 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 wait. He's like dropping DJ, just DJ. Rock will walk in. The Rock. They're, on, they're on a first name, like a basis, just DJ. Ah, I wish. DJ to me. So, but you know, you realize, oh, this is greatness and whatnot. But, but for me, that first show was the most eye-opening experience because you realize everything that kind of goes into the machine. And at the end of the day, though, the foundation of that entire machine was a live event. And when you realize that and you make that connection, it was, you realize that like the, the, the foundation, the bedrock of the company is something that was in my control. And that, that pressure, but that, that, that opportunity is what excited me the most about WWE because without the live event, nothing else happens. It is, it is the number one touch point. It is the number one, uh, it is the number one access point for fans to engage with the product in some shape, form, or fashion. All TV is derived from it. All your hopes, dreams, prayers for your WWE superstars is derived from what happens at that live event. So when you realize that and you realize the magnitude of that, it made the live event unit that much more powerful for me. I think one of the really cool things is like one of my first years in the industry, you do see that side of the business side whereas before you know of whatever it is sesame street live disney on ice you're just kind of just used to going to it as a fan and then you come to places like eamc you see them sponsor these lunches play a sizzle and you're like oh shit they did make a wish foundation for tons of kids they've donated this they've gone around and done a uso tour like like it's it's much more than just this fun form of entertainment like these businesses these tours are doing a lot. They're making a huge impact. It is this machine. It employs a ton of people too, which I think hopefully the public realized a bit more over the last two years. But you know, it, it's it's a big, massive family and big machine that really makes a huge impact on communities. No, you're right. I mean, at the end of the day, all of our jobs is to try to put smiles on faces or create opportunities for unique experiences for our fans, consumers, and whatnot. And that's something that shouldn't be lost on us. I mean, at the end of the day, I tell people all the time, like, for me, the moment, I don't give a crap about gross sales. I lie. I do care about gross sales. But <laughs> the, the, the magic moments for me, outside of looking at the audit and realizing we're going to make money, is when you look in the stands and something magical happens during that event where that fan jumps up, you see a tear in the eye because they hear the song that they've been waiting for all night. Yeah. Or granddad and grandson high five each other because something happens and you realize that you were part of curating that experience. That to me is why I'm in this business. And like that, those, that's the drug that I need. Then when I get that hit, I wanna see it again and I wanna see it again. 
Um, and so that, so to your point, man, it's, it's just bigger than, than just a ticket sale. I mean, like, you know, and, and bringing a, specifically on the tour side to be able to take our machine to different pockets of the world and, and then allow for our cowboys, wrestlers, football players, pro athletes to go out into the community and do what they do and then allow for our stars to do what they do and to allow for venues to show their building off. You realize that you're the engine that's making that go and a lot of people don't understand that. They just think it's dudes getting up and down the road on buses and put it, put it it's, it's bigger than that. And, and, and I think the more we understand how big this ecosystem is and how many people it really can impact, it makes you then realize how critical that your role is and how, how much attention you should give it uh, as opposed to just saying, oh yeah, I gotta go and just buy some media for this show. No, this shit's bigger than that. If you really truly look at the impact you're making on your community, the lives of others, It'll change your direction and change how you approach the job. Speaking of how you approach the job, you know, WWE took you around the globe, right? So you're doing tours in India, Saudi Arabia, Australia, right? But whether it's PBR or WWE, I bet for you personally, there's a lot of times in your career that you've walked into the room and, and seen people that don't look like you. Talk to me about, tell me about your challenges there and, and how you've kind of persevered through that. Um, one is... I make it a requirement for any opportunity, whether I'm consulting, a job, or whatever, that I'm going to be my authentic self. Um, I think working in college athletics, and this is no knock against college athletics, um, I realized that I was never my authentic self, right? Um, there would be moments in college athletics where, i give you an example. If I went to a black tie dinner, I would no longer wear, and I, it was a black you know, tuxedo, I will always wear an off-color shirt. You'll never see me in a white shirt at a, at a at a dinner, and people will say, well, why is that such a point? Why are you wearing a pink shirt, a purple shirt, right. or a green right. shirt? It's because I don't want to be you know, confused with the help. And so those are moments where you realize that I had to make these bold but micro statements wherever I can to, 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 to one, set myself apart and make sure that I can feel comfortable in my own skin where I am and not necessarily feel like I got to do that. And the same thing when I walk into a meeting. I will walk in, I will be my loud, abrasive self. And I don't apologize for that anymore, and I used to. And now when I talk to people who are minorities, male, female, whatever it may be, I tell them to be their authentic self. Fuck what everybody else thinks. And that's, because that to me is the one thing that I think that in the, the old boys network club that a lot of people um, will fall victim to, they'll walk in and feel like they gotta adapt to the room. And you, you're trained that way, you know, go in and read the room. If they smoke cigars, you smoke cigars. If they go to the strip club, you go to the strip club. Fuck that. Like, I firmly believe that that's such a pile of bullshit because if you're going to be your authentic self and, you're going to, and that company is going to want you there, they, that meeting wants your input, they're going to allow for you to be your authentic self. And, and so when I made that connection, which was later in life, I'm not saying this thing happened when I was 23, sure. but as I got the confidence to do that, I try to instill that confidence into the younger version of me so that they don't have to go through those same mental battles of walking into these rooms and feeling like I'm less than or I don't belong or I got to speak a certain way in order to be in this room. If I'm a firm believer that whatever the meeting is, I'm going to wear what I wear. I don't, I don't feel now I got to go put on a pair of Cole Hans and khakis and a blue blazer to go to this place. If I'm going to show up, I would be in some t today's Yeezys. I'm going to be in Yeezys at the country club. I'm going to be at Yeezys on the golf course. I'm going to be in Yeezys at the arena, be at Yeezys at the fucking restaurant. I don't care. This episode sponsored by Yeezys. <laughs> by the shares. But, but what I'm getting at is, so to, to attack that question a different way is... No, please. 
I, 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 I walk into a lot of rooms, specifically in indie industry, where I'm the only me there, and I don't care about that. I don't let it bother me anymore. I make my statement. I make sure that I'm my authentic self, and I make sure that whoever I'm in the room with is conscious of that, and it's worked out for me. Um, and and I, I just take pride in the fact that I don't care anymore. Um, and I take pride in the fact that I'm trying to give other minorities the ability to have that same voice and that same confidence to do the same thing at an earlier age because that's the way I feel that change is going to come. Because if I wait on some old guy to come around to how I think, I'd be waiting for a very long time. But if I force the issue and the person behind me forces the issue and the person behind them forces the issue, at that point, this person is going to become outnumbered that they got to change their ways. And so that's just my way of attacking it. Um, and I'm probably answering it way more in depth. No, no, no. I love this. This is great. It's a trigger. That, that's a trigger point from it. I, I, I just I, I want to make sure that that gets out there. I think the authentic self that you keyed in on a couple times there, and we've actually had some of our previous uh, podcast guests talk about the same thing on how they had struggles, you know, whatever it is, kind of being that self at With work. The only woman in the office and joining that boys yeah. club or whatever it is. Yeah, and then, you know, I think your full self is what should be the value you bring to your company. Absolutely. And so if, to be frank, if you're in a company that they don't want you to be your full self, then you need to find another company because they should realize the value that they're going to get the most out of you if they let you be yourself because you're going to bring everything to the table and really the best businesses are going to have every opinion, diverse groups of people. You need people that are knowledgeable about everything, that everyone has a different experience. You don't want all the people in the room that live the same life that are exactly. bottled up. You need people that have experienced everything, and then they can really make a company grow. They can really expand it. And so, you know, companies need to understand that, you know, for you, like if you want your employee to excel, you need to let them bring what they bring to the table, be their authentic self. Firm believer, firm believer in that. And it's, 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 because I get, I get the question all the time, right? Like, all right, bro, you talk about that and you're at PBR. And I was like, exactly. Because I think what a lot of other people don't realize is one, you got to be the change you want to see. And two, you got to change from the inside out, right? Yes. You know, you, you yes. know people and, and PBR to actually, contrary to most opinions, is way more diverse in thought than people give it credit for, right? And because and, I was the same way, I was like, ha ha, eh, eh. Sat down with everybody there, I was like, holy shit. Like they, the whole B Cowboy mantra, they don't care if you're black or white. The bull doesn't discriminate. If you can ride the bull, the right. bull doesn't give a shit right. who you are, <laughs> right? So it's like, it's, it's really one of those sports and one of those businesses that if you can just, you know, check your ego, walk in, put in a hard day's work, be willing to help everyone out and, and, and not be afraid to walk into that ambiguous situation, they're going to take you in, right? It's just the nature of what farmers and cowboys do. And nobody gives a shit what you look like. If you can do the work, come on down. And that's the one thing. We're, we're, we're you know, going through a process now of trying to reintroduce our brand with that mantra, the Be Cowboy mantra, it's be so that it, it not only helps us recruit a more diverse fan base because, you know, it's just built into the nostalgia of, oh, yeah, just a white guy on a cowboy, you know, whatever. We're trying to make sure that we show every other demographic that you're welcomed here. Conversely, employees, when we're trying to recruit, it's like, yeah, we're looking for that. I want to bring in a, the most diverse workforce that we can in order to elevate the brand and, and be able to touch people 
uh, wherever they are, however they need to be, you know, greeted, communicated to, and whatever. And the only way you're going to do this is by diversity and thought from inside out, not, you know, just trying to um, force feed them with, you know, just non-authentic stuff. So forgive me anyway. Now, speaking of being your authentic self, as I'm watching your shirt sleeve strain, <laughs> how do you find the time with all the stuff you're doing to just <sighs> keep in shape? Because Paul and I would like some tips. You're a big CrossFit nut, right? I'm, I'm, I, I'm big into Well, I was, I'm big into CrossFit. At first, I was into triathlon. So, and I realized I didn't have enough time for triathlon because it's hard as hell to find a pool in like Laredo, Texas, on a random Tuesday. So, <laughs> I uh, got out of triathlon and got into CrossFit because you can go get your workout in in like you know 20 minutes in and out, you're done. But for me, it's it's you know I, I subscribe to it. You hear me talk about I'm big on acronyms, but it's like you know family, fitness, finance. On. Everybody talks about the four Fs of life and whatnot, and you can only do two at a time. Well, I mean, fitness is a big thing for me. One, it's the only time that I can disconnect. If everybody in this in this business, you know that you're on 24-7, seven days a week. There's no, there's no off switch. You're always on, unfortunately. And so working out is like the one time where I physically can't hold a barbell or something and my phone at the same time. I can check out and find 20, 30, 40 minutes for myself. It's my version of prayer and meditation. And so I make it a priority. I schedule it in my day to make sure that I do it. Um, and so that, that to me, I just made it a priority and put it in my day like I would my morning recap meetings, my morning audit meetings and morning marketing meetings is a part of my day. And I just try to, 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 to make it a priority for me. I remember uh, not that long after I met you, however long ago it was at EAMC, and started following your social media. And I would see, I think Koshay was like one of the first filter like masters on social media. This guy used like, I don't even know if it was one app or it was 40 apps, but he would take like pictures of him scaling some mountain and it looked like something that's going to be in an art gallery. And would post it. And uh, is that something like, did you like photography? Are you like lean, leaning into it because you're like exercising or what, what was that? I think a little bit of both. Uh, I, I got into photography and I'm still into it. And I, I dabbled in, in, in it. But, you know, at the end of the day, we're all, if you're in marketing, you're pretty much a creative. You just don't know it. Right. Um, but, but pretty much we all have that creative deal and everybody has their own little outlet for it. And photography at that time was it for me. And, and, and the cool thing about being in a touring business and kind of having that photography uh, hobby, obsession, whatever word I want to use, is I was always in a cool backdrop. And so it became a whole game of how can I get the coolest freaking photo in wherever I am doing something that I love. And so, you know, I'll be in you know, Sioux Falls, South Dakota. I'm looking for a mountain and I'm going to go try to run up that mountain. And then once I get to the top, I'm going to take a cool ass photo while I'm up there. And then I'm going to go back and put in my editing tricks and post it and, and let it go. And then same thing, I'm in India and I'm going to get in the back of a dunk talk and I'm going to ride around the city and I'm going to freaking figure out a way to take a photo there. And it just, and so it's just one of those things that the, the business that I was in, the hobby that I had kind of clashed and it, and it worked out for me. And, but yeah, it was fun. And, and Instagram was kind of taken off at that time. So, I and I'm not an influencer or anything. So do not send me an email or a DM trying to say, come to some event. Cause it's like, it's not that type of party, but I get a kick out of it. Um, and, but it is pretty cool though. And some people be like, yeah, I haven't paid for a pair of Nike Metcons in years. So I'm gonna keep it up just for that. <laughs> 
All right, so one of the great things about being able to do a live episode is we can ask some questions. We can have our audience uh, actually ask some questions. So we do have a microphone, so we're going to uh, ask that you wait to ask your question until the microphone gets to you so we can add it into the podcast. But introduce yourself with your question. Uh, I know we, we've got a great guest here. So, so who's, got a, who's got a question for our, for our guest today? Who wants to start us off? Or it can be for Dave if you want to ask him really secretive <laughs> questions. Right here up front. Here we go. The orange pants. Hello, Vanessa Cromer. Hello, Cochet. Hello, madam. <laughs> um, so you just mentioned the four Fs, and obviously you're in incredible shape, an accomplished CMO, and I know you're a family man, which is amazing. How do you, what keeps that drive, that passion, the motivation? Beat yesterday. It is plastered everywhere in the house. I have a T-shirt with it on, but I think the thing for me is I want to be better than I was yesterday in everything that I do. I think you hear me talk about it yesterday, 2% better each day, compound effect. You're going to be better within about 60-some-odd, I mean 30-some-odd days. And for me, I just want to beat yesterday. I want to be a better father than yesterday. I want to be a better promoter, marketer than yesterday. And I just I, I, I try to take stock in what happened yesterday, what happened that previous week, and what I can improve on. And that's my constant chase is just trying to get better, um, whether it's – and I play stupid games because I'm – anybody on our team can tell I'm pretty competitive. Um, but the thing that, that motivates me is I'll look at stuff like how long a meeting took and if I can make that meeting more efficient. Uh, I would look at what we gross in the city and can we get an extra 10, 12, 13 grand. Uh, I would look at, you know – how long it you know traveling and if I can cut off a day of travel to make my my week more efficient just anything that I can do to try to get better is that so I live by that motto just try to beat yesterday and as long as I keep doing that everything will work out for me or has worked out for me hi Aaron Miller hi Cochet hello madam so my question is has anything changed for you and how you mentally approach your job from pre-covid to return to life yeah, uh, I learned that you can't pe- you know, treat people like shit. And uh, what I mean by that is now as a manager and a leader, I got to lead the whole person. Uh, I'm a firm believer in, and I, I tell our team this, it's, it's, it's you, your family, your job in that order. You, your family, your job. You, I got to help you take care of you and be your authentic self. Make you feel comfortable where you are. Because if you are okay, you're going to go home and be an awesome husband, partner, father, wife, whatever it may be. And you're going to be engaged because you're not stressed out or bugged out from work. And then you're going to come back to work that next day and you're going to be balanced. And you're going to give us your all. And if you leave work, you're going to be balanced at home. Because you think about majority of the stress you have in your life. And some people have marital issues and whatnot. But majority of the stress you have in life comes from work. You really just boil it down. Because it's... Nine times out of ten, it's, most, it's not necessarily, uh, it's not optional. Like, you got to go meet with this person. You got to go to this meeting. So it's one of those things that, you know, you can choose not to go to your son's softball or daughter's softball game. You can make those choices. But at work, you kind of don't have a lot of that, that leeway. So I feel that if I can make you feel as good as I can while at work, it basically starts a continuum where we now have a balance and you're not feeling like you're forced to do anything. I'm going to get more out of you as an employee. So that's just been my goal. Like, so I'm a firm believer in that. You, your family, your job. And I stress that. And if you're a leader, I'm not telling you you can steal that. But if you do, I want royalties. But you, <laughs> your family, your job. I like that a lot. And we got a couple questions in the very back row. So we can take the mic back all the way. There's Nina oh, and the gentleman yeah, in the cap yeah. as well. Hi, Nina Jackson, NRG Hi, Park Nina. in Houston. Hi, how are you doing? 
<laughs> um, what's that funny, that one funny story that kind of sticks out that, that, and it can be either from WWE or from PBR or from Conference USA, but that story that still makes you laugh to this day and you think and you go, did that really happen? <laughs> I got one of those in like every city, but the most recent one uh, is <laughs> we were at a show and, uh, and it, was, it was with PBR uh, last year. Anyway, one of the guys, one of the cowboys comes up to him and says, hey, what's up, brother? You know, and he was like, and, you know, on my face. And, uh, and I was like, that's the weirdest shit that ever happened. And he was, How did it go like, again? How did it go? He's like, and, you know, he's kind of brushed my face. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on? Right? <laughs> you know, and so he was like, and I was like, bro, what are you doing? Like, this is, you know, I'm cooling on. I'm all about touch and everything, but this is not normal. He's like, yeah, I don't want you to get green eye. And I was like, what, the, what is green eye? He was like, well, you know, when the bullshit gets in your eye, you get green eye. And I was like, I had bullshit on my face? <laughs> and, so, and so at that point, I realized that, uh, yeah, I'm really in this business. And, 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 and to this day, they, they give me crap about it. And then the other moment, once again, that PBR, that's, and this is like the same loop. So if you, do, if you know me, I'm kind of a sneakerhead. I'm a sneaker snob. I, I agree to I, tell you that now and working in dirt sports is not conducive to my sneaker collection by the way but anyway I'm on the back of a shoot and I jump down and land in a big pile of shit and Cody one of our guys he's a legend in the sport was like yeah I bet you want some boots now and so those mo like but those are the two most recent but I'm pretty sure I can keep going back every I mean, in this business and touring you're always going to have one of those moments but bullshit on the face and messing up a fair pair of Jordan is, is we all deal with some bullshit but you you get the award my friend yeah I, one I, last question there the gentleman in the very back row yes or close to it Love hearing uh, your story and how you how you take on company culture. How you and I wanted to learn about how to um, build a team. I'm new to the industry. We just had our first hire, where somebody that I'll be working with and taking a big responsibility off my back. What is something you look at when hiring those people? What's what, like? How do you see your younger self, and how do you go about kind of activating someone? Kind of when you're in the interview process and you're seeing the options and the different personalities that want to join your team. Um, so I guess the question would be is like how do I evaluate uh, new like new people to the company or who we're going to recruit? Um, for me, it's it, in this business. I'm, a, I'm my ego is so big, and I, I don't take this out of context. I feel I can teach you anything. I figure I can teach you the business, but what I can't teach you is motor and curiosity. Like those are just two in, just traits that you either got it or you don't. And in this business, if you don't have a thirst for curiosity, if you don't have a thirst for knowledge or a thirst for how to get better or a thirst for case, which is copy and steal everything, um, you, you won't make it in this business. And that's majority of the time when people come for a cup of coffee, which for me is if you work in this business, like, I could probably show a hands, but you've seen people come and go. It's that first year, that first year in the business. If you get past that first year, you're probably going to be here eight, nine years. But that first year is so tough for a lot of people yes, yes. that it is, you, you realize that. And so you got, and if you don't have that motor, that curiosity, that toughness, and, and it's not to say that it's just not going to be for that. And so long, long way to get to the answer is I don't look for skill sets. I really, truly, when people send me their resumes, 
you know, I'll look and see if they at least know what live event marketing is and they have a, a, like a sense of what they're doing. But for me, I, I, I try to call, and, and Jeremy, we just hired here, knows, and if anybody if I ever hired you or we recruited, I call the most random of people to find out about you because I want to know about the motor, the, the things that you're not telling me on the resume because if you don't show up with that motor and that curiosity, uh, you're not going to help the business. I can teach you how to market. I teach you how to sell. I teach you how, well, I can't write to save my life, but I'll teach you who to go call. I call Vanessa to say, hey, how you write a press release? But, um, but I can't, you can't coach motor. It's like in basketball. You can't coach seven feet. It's just your seven feet. So uh, for me, I, I, I look at that. I just look to see what that person's into. I go stalk their social media. Yes, that may be illegal in some circles, but I do it because I want to see what they do in their spare times. If they are gamers or they're out hiking, meaning are they out trying to find life and enjoy life or are they just, you know, like photos of mean memes that they're going and just trying to make fun of people because once again, you know, that tells you a lot about a person's soul and what they're going to bring to the company. If you bring in a person who all they do is post snarky remarks and everything there, that's just going to carry over to the culture of the company. And at a certain point, it's going to. So the long answer is, man, look outside the resume is, is candidly what I would I would say and look for make sure they have a motor for it. Thank you. We're going to wrap things up now because we're running out of time. But I want to hit you with our fast five. These are five quick questions. Just looking for your dun, quick dun, dun. instant response. All right. Very first concert. MC Hammer, Oak Town 357, <laughs> Digital Underground, all in the same deal, Temple wow. Theater, Meridian, wow. Mississippi. How about your favorite concert? Favorite concert? It's uh, tough. This is like the tough toughest one, question. Man. But I would go with uh, the Watch the Throne tour at the Rose Bowl. There you go. How about the, how about you, you can CrossFit workout with anyone in history who you're working out with? In, in all of the anybody, world. Anybody, anybody. CrossFit though. Yeah. It has to be a CrossFit workout. You don't pick me. <laughs> I would actually want to work out with, with I want to work out with rock. Very you, nice. You mean right, DJ. How, right. what, DJ. What, what, DJ. What it. venues on your bucket list? A venue you haven't been yet that you'd love to visit? I, I, I love all my children the same. <laughs> right, right, right. Last question. What, what's your theme song? You get to own your own TV show all about Cochet. The cameras follow you around. Outside of you and that fucking intro you gave me earlier? Yeah, yeah. Uh, that would be. Yeah. The, I want to record that. What is the, what's, your, what's your theme song? Um, <laughs> oh, that's a good one. Uh, dun, 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 dun. It's a song by this group called Fantagram, and it's dun, dun, dun. I don't know the name of it, but it's that song. And when I realize the name of it, I will, when you do this, I'll put it in the comments. Hey, you've been awesome today. If people want to follow you on that Insta, see all the fun pictures, what's, what's, the, what's the best place for people to see you? It's Cochet Irby at wherever the thing is you're looking at. I try to squat on them all. There you go. Hey, round of applause for our guests. They stepping in unexpectedly, absolutely killed it. We are so grateful for you. And on that note, thank you for listening to this episode of Adventures in Venue Land. Remember, you can subscribe and find more episodes wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. We'd love your five-star reviews so you can help others find us. Until the next adventure, I'm Dave Rettelberger. And I'm Paul Huber. Thanks for listening, everyone, and attending in person. We love you all. Let's give these guys a round of applause. They're <laughs> awesome. <laughs>
Find out more at eventarenamarketing.com. Audio editing and mixing by Camille Faulkner. Design and digital advertising by Megan Ebeck. Copywriting and publicity by Samantha Marker. Guest booking and brand strategies by Paul Hooper. Guest research by Dave Rettelberger. Marketing strategies by Paul Hooper, Megan Ebeck, and Samantha Marker. Thanks for joining us. Until the next adventure.